My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Gene Swanson and Aidan Sisler. Things are bad in Vancouver for people who don't have much money or who face any number of other forms of marginalization. Gentrification is intense, the loss of affordable housing to make space for luxury condos is relentless, and homelessness is the highest it has ever been. The continent-wide crisis of deaths related to opioid overdoses has taken a particularly heartbreaking toll in the city. And all of the other things that are organizing hurt and harm into so many lives across the country, increasingly precarious employment, racist police violence, the targeting of migrants by a harsh border regime, social services that are less and less adequate, rising Islamophobia, and all the rest, are no less present in Vancouver than anywhere else. The perennial question is, of course, how to respond beyond the ever-present necessity of survival-focused struggles. How do we make change? How do we win things that actually make a difference in our own lives, the lives of our neighbors, everyone's lives? There's no singular or final answer to those questions, and anyone claiming to have it all figured out should probably be approached with caution. It's a matter of context and judgment, and most of all, of constant experimentation. That said, however, one common theme among a major subset of people in North America over the last couple of generations whose central political commitment is to grassroots struggles has been a certain skepticism about the value of putting energy into electoral politics. A few small groups actively advocate boycotting them, while many other people see voting as useful but don't see election campaigns as a particularly strategic place to put scarce activist energies. But there are signs that, at least for some people with grassroots commitments, that might be changing. Without at all denying their limitations and problems, the kinds of impacts made in recent years by the campaigns of Bernie Sanders in the United States and Jeremy Corbyn in the United Kingdom have inspired a new layer of people in all manner of contexts to begin experimenting with bringing together grassroots movements with the aim of intervening in election campaigns to challenge, in one way or another, politics as usual. In Vancouver, for all the challenges that poor, working-class, and otherwise marginalized people face, it has always been a city with an incredible array of grassroots activism and organizing pushing back and fighting for better lives. When a city councillor resigned and triggered a municipal by-election for October of 2017, a group of mostly young activists and organizers, including Aidan Sisler, saw it as an ideal opportunity to take the fight to the electoral realm and see if that might be a way to win some real, concrete gains. To that end, they started a social media campaign to encourage the candidacy of someone whose name is recognizable to anyone who's been involved in grassroots activism and organizing in Vancouver in recent decades. And that is Jean Swanson. She was initially reluctant to run, but the groundswell of online support convinced her to give it a shot. Swanson has been involved in grassroots movements in the city for over 40 years. At various points, she's worked in the labor movement, been part of organizing major peace marches, 
and co-chaired the British Columbia component of a national campaign against neoliberal free trade deals. But the heart of her involvement has always been in housing, homelessness, and poverty struggles, particularly in Vancouver's downtown east side neighborhood. She got her start with the Downtown East Side Residents Association in 1974, worked for many years with a group called End Legislated Poverty, wrote a groundbreaking book on poor bashing, and for the last decade and more has worked with the Carnegie Community Action Project on related issues in the neighborhood. Along with demonstrating her lifelong commitment to social justice, this work has given her a great deal of expertise in dealing with the city, from serving on municipal committees, to regularly addressing council, to ongoing engagement with city politicians and staff. And, along the way, she also managed to get named to the Order of Canada. Swanson is running on a platform of fighting for a rent freeze, taxing the rich to house the homeless, a citywide door-to-door voter enumeration to decrease barriers to political participation faced by tenants and homeless people, expansion and strengthening of Vancouver's access to city services without fear, sanctuary city policy, and more. Swanson and Sisler speak with me about the current political context in Vancouver, about the decision to take grassroots passion for social justice into a municipal election campaign, and about what Swanson aims to do if she wins. We spoke by Skype to phone from Vancouver. I'm Jean Swanson, and I'm running for Vancouver City Council for the election on October 14th. It's a by-election. I've been working for social justice for about 40 years. I guess I didn't really think politically until I was in my 30s. Kind of what led up to it was I had a baby who died of meningitis, and I was living in the States then. I was an American. And the hospital had a locked door. They wouldn't let him in. They wouldn't let us in until hours later. And right after that, I went to Mexico, and I noticed there were all these little processions along the side of the road with these little coffins that were about a foot long. And I was pretty much obsessed with dying babies at the time. So I kind of made the connection to the poverty and death, especially children's death. So I got married and I had kids and everything and we moved to Canada. And I had a daughter who was born with a hole in her heart. And she got really good medical care because of socialized medicine. So I kind of thought, oh, governments can help. After a while, I got a job at the Downtown Eastside Residents Association. This was in 1974, and that's when my political education began. We would work for things like more and better housing, cleaning up the slums, getting rid of tax buyers, getting liquor laws enforced, getting higher welfare rates, getting more job creation, that kind of thing. So that's where it began. Then we bit the hand that fed us and was kind of unemployed. I was a single parent by then and eking out an existence here and there. And I got a job at the Hospital Employees Union and worked there for a few years. Then afterwards, we formed a group called End Legislated Poverty. And we worked on trying to get higher welfare rates. And we started a campaign against poor bashing. And at that, that time, the free trade deals were coming, and I was a co-chair of the BC Coalition Against Free Trade, and I was quite actively involved in fighting free trade. And actively involved in the peace marches in Vancouver. We had some big peace marches in the 80s. I was once the president of the National Anti-Poverty Organization, and I wrote a book on poor bashing. And I'm now volunteering and have for the last 10 or 12 years at the Carnegie Community Action Project. 
And there we try to get more and better housing, higher welfare rates, and stop gentrification. And I've dealt with the city for about 40 years. I've spoken at city council a million times. I know a lot of the staff by their first name. I've been on some council committees, so I have a lot of city experience. I'm Aidan Sisler. I'm a member of Socialist Alternatives, as well as Left Alternatives, a student community action group at SFU. I have political experience primarily from the grassroots, I guess to start right at the beginning when I was younger and driving with my guardians through the downtown east side and having questions at a really young age about why there are people without homes and often why so many of these people of darker skin and longer hair and not being satisfied with the answers. Of course, we didn't learn about colonization and how it's ongoing, and then the vibrant resistance struggles against that and against the Canadian state. I was fortunate enough then to go and do studies in England and Manchester, looking a bit more from a social science background at the roots of prejudice in my studies and experiencing very active working class culture and organizing. And then in Berlin, where I did my PhD getting involved in the predecessors of Sanctuary City in a very informal manner. And then they're experiencing witnessing the state forces and their repression and some of the mass movements and protests firsthand and thinking, well, none of us really want to riot forever. How can we unite our struggles, so many of which are intersecting and draw them together to bring about change for a better world? Since moving back to Vancouver very recently and seeing just how bad things have gotten under neoliberalism and the inaction of Vision Vancouver. Uh, And Vision Vancouver is one of the municipal political parties in the city. It's a center-left formation, and it's been part of the dominant bloc on city council for a number of years now. I really had no other option but to support someone like Jean an incredible representative and advocate for decades for the poor, the working class, and the press. So it made my decision to get involved with Jean's run for council quite easy. So describe for listeners, particularly listeners from other parts of the country, some of the major features of the political situation in Vancouver. Well, the big picture, of course, is 40 years of austerity cutting taxes for the rich and programs for the poor. When I first started working at the Downtown Eastside Residents Association in Vancouver, we didn't work on homelessness. Do you know why? Because there was hardly any. That was in the 70s. And that's because welfare rates were high enough to buy food and pay rent, and governments were building thousands of units of housing every year, social housing. Since then, there's been all this austerity, all this cutting of taxes for the rich, all this cutting of services for everybody else, and things have gotten really, really bad. In Vancouver now, our campaign did some calculations. The average rent for a one-bedroom apartment is more than a full-time minimum wage worker makes, completely more, counting everything. And if the apartment rates keep going up at the same rate that they're going up now, in four years, the average apartment will be about $4,000 a month. And at the last count, we had 2,138 homeless people in Vancouver. 
and homelessness is getting worse and worse. It's never been as bad as it is today. And our rent control is completely useless. Whenever anybody moves out or whenever a landlord can harass, evict, or buy someone out, they can raise the rent as much as they want. So the rent control is completely useless. And then there's other things, of course, that we desperately, desperately need, like free transit so that people can get around and stop driving polluting cars and a sanctuary city so that the police don't keep reporting people to border security. We've got a whole list of policies, but basically the worst thing about Vancouver right now is housing and it's so bad that young people can't live here. Everybody's moving out unless they have a really high paying job and somebody's got to do something about it. And if residents of Vancouver had gone to city council meetings in the last year in Vancouver, what sorts of things would they have been likely to hear? There would be a lot of rezonings. There would be a lot of rezonings for high condo towers or high market rental towers that nobody can afford. That's the main thing they'd hear them talking about. And there'd be a lot of people up there protesting, and there'd be a lot of ignoring of those people This council has gotten a lot of its campaign contributions from developers. And if residents of the city were to go to the downtown east side and to other neighborhoods, what kinds of signs of grassroots organizing would they be likely to see in Vancouver? Just to talk about the downtown east side, the situation has never been worse. And I've been involved in the downtown east side for over 40 years. We had 258 people die from the opioid crisis between January and the end of June. 250 people died, and it's stoppable. It's so easy to stop. People need clean, free drugs. That would stop it. There's homeless people all over. And, of course, welfare rates are so low that people have to sell things on the street and do sex work and all kinds of other stuff just to survive. So the situation is really, really bad. So the organizing that's happening in the downtown east side, there's this fantastic group called Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, which is drug users working to keep themselves alive and put forward policies that would help people in their situation. And there is another group that works with them called Western Aboriginal Harm Reduction, which is a similar type of group that uses Aboriginal healing circles to try and help people get back on track if they're not. There's a Carnegie Community Action Project where I work, and we're always fighting against gentrification and for more and better housing and higher welfare rates. And there's the Our Homes Can't Wait campaign, which is fighting for a specific site in the downtown east side, 58 West Hastings, which the mayor has promised will be 100% welfare rate housing, but isn't at this point. The promise has been broken already, and we're still trying to get them back on track with that. Plus, we want governments to preserve and improve the SRO hotels. And SRO is single room occupancy until good, decent housing is built, and a rent freeze. So groups are, you know, holding demonstrations, sit-ins, occupying City Hall. We wrapped a ribbon around a foam mattress that had mouse tunnels in it and took it up to City Hall the other day and gave it to the mayor. It was to try and get him to enforce maintenance bylaws in the SRO hotels, which the city is refusing to do. And then there's the newly formed Tenants Union, and they've got hundreds of members already, and they've had a couple of victories in a couple of buildings. They've stopped some renovations. 
Another battle is there's a couple of amazing groups in Chinatown that have put forward a people's vision for Chinatown to try and keep the developers from destroying it and to try and make sure it keeps its working class roots and has affordable housing, especially for the seniors. So there's quite a bit of action. Tell me about the strategic decision to run and to invest activist energies in a grassroots municipal election campaign. Why this tactic in this moment? I didn't really want to run. (laughs) There was a bunch of mostly young folks who were kind of pushing me to do it, and they set up a draft gene Facebook page, and it did get quite a good response. And they were all really enthusiastic, so I thought, well, sure, why not give it a try? And so what we want to do is see if it's possible to connect electoral politics with the social movements and to change the language around city politics, open up the city. If I got on there, I'd like to use that position to help other people who are fighting for social and environmental justice to have a forum to bring forward what's needed for justice and to push it. And if the city couldn't do it, to demand those powers from other levels of government and to broaden out what's actually democratically possible and challenge the laws that restrict us from doing what we need to do. For example, housing. Everyone says, oh, the city can't afford to build enough social housing. That has to be the province or the feds, and they're not putting the money in, so then we have homelessness. But what if the city had a progressive property or income tax? What if we had a mansion tax? We could get millions of dollars by taxing mansions that we could then put into reducing homelessness and building housing for other people that don't have a lot of money. So we'd like to broaden up the political discussion to say what really would be possible if we had the democratic powers that we should be able to have as a democracy. We can't talk about Jean's run without talking about Corbyn, without talking about Sanders. Really, it's this movement, this linking up and building a real serious alternative to the interests of the ruling class of the big powers, which systematically are aligned against us, the people. There's so much potential there. We're in a moment in which everything is up for contestation and we have to fight for it. And it's not just about policy, it's about building real power and that type of approach. So people who'd never, ever consider getting involved in electoral politics or who rightly felt like they were shut out by this system are now getting together and discussing democratically, figuring out strategy and seeing that, you know, the policies and platform that Gene's putting forward are fundamentally different. They're tackling those root causes in a really bold way much like Labour's manifesto in the UK. It wasn't Corbyn's personality necessarily, but it was one of the best clearly costed manifestos out there, which painted a vision for a future, a real future, and a real alternative to this unrelenting neoliberalism, this bleak and punishing status quo. And what's more, it was incredibly accessible and not short-sighted in any way. So yeah, it's really exciting. And there's all these young folks working on the campaign. I had to look up what dank meme meant the other day because they're (laughs) they're making memes about me. (laughs) So one thing that you often hear whenever there's an election is a certain skepticism 
from many people involved in movements, from grassroots lefties, about the value of putting energy into election campaigns. How do you respond to that skepticism? So I went to a meeting at Van Du, the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, the other day, and I said, well, what kind of policies should we put forward to deal with the opioid crisis? And they gave me a big list, which I wrote down, end drug prohibition, armed police with Narcan, not guns, and bylaws that criminalize poor people. And I heard afterwards that they had a discussion after I left that was to the effect that it was incredible that a politician had come to listen to them and that they were all going to go out and vote. <laughs> so I think that one of the reasons that a lot of people think politics is useless is because politicians don't talk about the things that are important, like ending opioid deaths or having affordable housing or free transit or not reporting people to border security. And so what we're trying to do is talk about those things that matter so that people will hopefully see that those are the things that are in their interests and come out and vote. And so far, their response has been really positive. I think fundamentally, it's important to separate out a lot of the internecine struggles of activist groups who sort of isolate themselves from these movements which hold so much potential and have gained so much and understand that while a lot of the electoral system is designed that way to alienate people and shut them out, particularly those who really are facing the worst of it and trying to have those conversations and listen and take lead. Okay, what is it that's most pressing for you and what are you facing? Tell us about your day-to-day struggles. And from that, link up and start to talk about organizing and joining forces in a united way to take on huge political powers which has proven incredibly effective across time and place. But yeah, also getting very real with people about the realities of the situation, what it takes to win, and not just, you know, all it is is casting a vote. It's certainly not, but that's a vital part of it. Talk a little bit more about some of the concrete things that you're going to fight for if you win a seat on Vancouver City Council in the by-election in October. Well, the first thing is a rent freeze. People say, well, rent control is in the province's jurisdiction, but we have an amazing researcher, Young again, who found out that in cases where landlords are renovating, there are things that the city can do to actually prevent rent increases. So we would definitely use that power that the city has to make landlords who are getting building and development permits ensure that tenants have been given the right to return at the same rent if they're being evicted for that. That's one thing that's within the city's jurisdiction. But by just putting forward the idea of a rent freeze, we're going to put a lot of pressure on the province and the city to call for a rent freeze. We actually have a rent freeze petition that's getting really, really well received. We're getting hundreds of names on it. So we're going to be pushing the province for at least four-year rent freeze. The other thing is end homelessness. Build the modular units now that we need to get every single homeless person off the street. It would cost about $160 million to do that. And so we're saying if the province or the feds won't come up with the money, then we'll have to come up with the money somehow. And we would like to do it with a mansion tax if we can get progressive taxation. If not, we'll think of another way to do it. The city has a huge amount of money and property in its property endowment fund. And I'm sure if that was a priority of council, I'm sure the city can do it. 
We also want to expand our sanctuary city policies so police don't report people to Immigration and Border Services. We want a Chinatown that respects the working class heritage there and that includes social housing for low-income people. And we want real voter reform. I was just looking at the city's website for the upcoming election, and they've actually got a period where non-resident property owners can register to vote. But there is no period where resident tenants can register to vote. Either you're on the list already, or you have to bring a whole pile of ID with you on election day if you want to vote. So there's real inequities in that. And one of the things that we're proposing is to have a door-to-door voter enumeration. We used to have one in Vancouver, and when it was cut out, 20,000 tenants were thrown off the list. And we're also calling for permanent residents to be able to vote in the 2018 election. We want an Indigenous Healing and Wellness Centre. We want to cut the police budget and put some of that money back into community services that would actually reduce the need for policing. And we want free transit. We probably wouldn't be able to get it free right away, but we could start by having uh, what they do in Calgary, a $5 a month pass for low-income people. Ending behind closed-door deals with developers. And then we really need to work as hard as we can to end drug prohibition. Some folks at Vandu are saying we should arm the police with Narcan, not guns. So we need to scrap the bylaws that criminalize low-income people and drug users and people in tent cities. We need big changes, and those are some of the ones that we'd like to fight for. So what does a grassroots municipal election campaign look like? What are you going to be doing between now and the election in October? Well, we're focusing on getting out there, getting our rent freeze petition signed, and canvassing, and having lots of really enthusiastic volunteers We're an underdog, right, because we're not taking money from developers, just from ordinary people. But we've already surpassed our first goal. So, yeah, we'll run a cheap campaign, but it's going to be very people-powered, lots of volunteers. And I think we got a good chance. Already there's so much interest and enthusiasm. People are volunteering their time, coming straight from work, hitting the streets every single day to talk about the campaign, signing up signatories for the rent freeze petition, signing up more volunteers. We will be reliant upon spreading that message and getting people to turn out and cast a vote for Jean and encourage others to do so as well. We're an independent campaign. Gene doesn't take any corporate cash. And, you know, uh, we're like very much volunteer run and people powered. You have been listening to my interview with Gene Swanson and Aidan Sisler. Gene Swanson is a longtime community organizer who is running in a grassroots campaign in a municipal by-election in Vancouver. And Sisler is one of the activists involved in the campaign. To learn more about it, go to votegeneswanson.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.